I should like to call your attention this morning to the words which are to be found in the 16th Psalm and in the 8th verse. The 8th verse in the 16th Psalm. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I call your attention to this verse this morning in order that uh, through it and by means of it and its teaching, we may consider our lives together in this world as Christian people. And we may find guidance and help as we approach and face the beginning of a new year. There is, uh, in one sense, a little value in these human divisions of time, but in another there is great value, because we are so constituted and find ourselves in such a state as the result of the fall and as the result of sin, that we are constantly in need of helps and of aids. And uh, I believe the scripture has been given to us by God in order that we might have such a help and such an aid. And we can even use a day such as this, the beginning of a new year, in order to remind ourselves of certain things that are of vital importance to ourselves and their eternal salvation. Here we have a man, a psalmist, telling us how he faces the future. It's a psalm of David. And David was a man of like passions with ourselves. He had many troubles. He had to face many problems. He brought many of them upon himself, as we do. But many came in spite of him. Just as the result of the world in which he lived, just because there were other sinners like himself in the world, you read his story and you'll find that he lived a very tempestuous kind of life. And yet through it all, with all his sins and faults and failures, and all the various calamities that came to meet him, you find this man going steadily forward. A man who was well-pleasing in God's sight. The writer, the composer, the author of many of these great psalms, in which he celebrates God's goodness, and lift up his, lifts up his heart in praise. Such a man, obviously, therefore, has a great deal to teach us. And here he tells us one of the secrets of his life, one of the things that kept him going, one of the things that enabled him to recover himself when he fell into sin or when he was indeed almost overwhelmed by trouble. It's always a good thing to pay very careful attention to any statement made by such a man. There is nothing that I know of, next to the reading of the scriptures themselves, which is more profitable in the Christian life than a careful, constant reading and study of Christian biography. And, of course, the book of Psalms is uh, preeminent in that very respect. The psalmist opens his heart to us. He lets us peep into the secret of his life. And here I say in this one verse, he holds us face to face with what was, after all, the grand secret of the life of David, the king of Israel. But 
and this is a very important addition. This particular psalm is one of the so-called messianic psalms. It's one of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, those who are familiar with their New Testaments, as all ought to be, will know that this psalm is quoted very frequently in the New Testament with respect to our Lord himself and especially with respect to his resurrection. Take these words. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, in capitals, to see corruption. That was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost, quoted by Paul in Antioch of Pisidia, quoted again in the epistle to the Hebrews. It is undoubtedly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. David here was not only writing about himself, but he was writing as a prophet about uh, the coming one, the Son of God, the Messiah. And therefore, these words uh, can be appropriated to our Lord himself. In other words, we have in this verse that we are looking at not only, if I may so put it, the secret of the life of King David, we have also the essence and the secret of the life of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he was here in this world and lived his life as a man. I have set the Lord always before me. That was how he lived. And as you read the account of his life, which you will find in the four Gospels, you will find that this is obviously true. Observe his life of prayer. Observe him getting up before dawn to pray. Observe him spending a whole night in prayer. What's he doing? He is setting the Lord always before him. That was how he lived. It's perfectly clear, isn't it, from the Gospels, that our Lord, when he was here in the flesh, lived in that way. Why did he pray so much? Well, here's the answer. He kept the Lord always before him. He looked unto him. He lived for him and by him. Very well then, we see here that we have a most important ruling and principle with regard to our lives in this world. Nothing can be more important than this. The secret of the life of David. I say the secret of the human life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do read Christian biographies, you will find again that it has always been the characteristic note, the outstanding feature in the life of all men and women who have had unusual experiences of the grace of God and who have been used by him in an exceptional manner in their lives and ministries. Well, I need say no more by way of introduction. Obviously here we, we are facing something that is of very vital import to us, each and every one. Here we are, we are looking into this coming year. What's going to happen? I don't know. Nobody else knows. And I'm not going to waste your time in trying to predict what's going to happen. Neither am I going to waste your time in telling the politicians and the statesmen what they ought to do in order to govern the future. I am in no position to do that. And I know nobody else who occupies the pulpit, whatever position he may hold as an ecclesiastic, 
who is in a position to do so. No, no, I have a much higher calling. My business is to prepare you and to prepare all others who may care to listen for whatever may happen. We don't know what may happen. Look back to January the 1st, 1955, and look at the things that have happened to you. How many of them did you predict? How many of them did you anticipate? There it is, in a personal sense, in a more general sense, we don't know. And I thank God for this, that as Christian people, we don't need to know. The Christian should never have that desire to know. The Christian lives in this way, one step enough for me. And not only that, he has this principle, if he puts it into operation, which will enable him to say, whatever happens to me, I know that all will be well, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Come what may, let it be anything that may come, I shall not be moved. Because I'm living in the light of this principle, that I have set the Lord always before. Very well. Uh, let's, uh, let us look at this, and I'm anxious this morning to look at it with you in a very practical manner. Now I say that quite deliberately. The principles are here, of course, and we spend a great deal of our time here with principles and with doctrines because they're absolutely essential. But, of course, they've got to be applied. And therefore, it's not a bad thing that occasionally, like this, we should pause and be essentially practical and come down to the application of the things which we have seen together and which we must surely believe. Let us, I say, approach the whole teaching in a practical manner. What is it? Well, it is the determination to live life in the conscious presence of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. He has set the Lord God always before him. He says, I'm going to live in that way, as in his conscious presence. That was his determination. And he says, as long as I do that, I shall never be moved. But now then, how is this to be done? What exactly does this mean? Well, this is the supreme object of his life. And he emphasizes that by using the words he uses. You notice how he puts it. I have set the law always before me. Now that's a, an extraordinary term to use. This word set. It's an interesting word, and I've no doubt that at first sight, when we look at it and read it, it comes to us uh, rather as a surprise. Here is a man who says that he's going to set God before him. How can a mortal man thus manipulate or set God? That's what we feel at once. And yet we know that uh, that is not uh, what the man had in his mind or, what David was really saying was this, that he was going to set himself in the presence of God. It's just a human way of speaking. We say to ourselves, now I must remind myself about this. I must put up a notice in front of me in order that I shan't forget it. I'll set it in front of me. That's the kind of idea. What he really means is that he's going to bring himself into this position. I have set the Lord always before me. 
It's a term that you notice that is used very frequently in the scripture. We read that passage from the epistle to the Colossians because there you've got the other side of it emphasized. Paul, addressing these Christian people, says, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Here he's saying something like this. You see, there are those things. Well, now, set yourself in the right angle, in the right position. Get the right perspective. Keep on looking at them. Gaze upon them. David rather puts it the other way around. I have set the Lord always before me. It's exactly the same thing. But it's the term itself, I think, that is uh, so important for us as we come down to the practicalities of this matter. So I make no apology at all for breaking it up very simply into, into its component parts. What does this setting mean? Well, it obviously implies a determination. It includes an act of the will. It implies a very definite decision. Take a humble, ordinary domestic illustration. You set your alarm clock to go off at a certain time in the morning. Well, obviously, before you actually do it, you must have decided to do it. You've determined to do it. You have said, I want to wake up to get up at a given time in the morning. And therefore, I am going to set my clock, my alarm, at that given point. I've set it there. Now, here's the same idea. It involves determination. And, of course, determination involves thought, doesn't it? It involves meditation. It involves consideration. This is the end of an argument, this. It's, it's the outcome of a great process of reasoning. It's the implementation of a point of view uh, with regard to himself and with regard to the whole of life. I've, having considered everything, this is the way I am going to live. He's determined to do it. And you and I, my friends, must determine. We must decide. We must exercise our willpower. I could very easily keep you the rest of the morning on this, but I mustn't do so. Uh, I'm referring here, of course, to the whole tendency to drift and to allow life to manipulate us and to carry us along. I'm sure that as we examine ourselves, all of us at this moment, and as we look back across the last year and the whole of our past life, we must be more alarmed at that than at any other single matter. Uh, namely, the way in which the, the months and the years are passing and we haven't done what we propose to do. When I consider how my life is spent at half my days in this dark world and wide. That's how Milton sang, you remember? He'd wasted his life, he felt. He hadn't done things. And his blindness had come upon him. Well, now, we all must feel that, I'm sure. We are so busy, there are so many things. Never has life been more difficult. Life seems to be organized for us. And the most difficult thing in the world is to just isolate yourself and insist upon controlling your life and living it as you believe it should be lived. We've got to decide, we've got to determine. Because if we don't, 
Our lives will be governed by the round, by the circle in which we live. The newspapers will come in and we'll start with them at breakfast and other things will come and business and friends and affairs and meetings and so on and so forth. And we're all so busy with various things that we almost forget our immortal souls. I have set. I am determined. I am resolved. I will. That's the first thing. But uh, at the same time as I say all that, I am emphasizing the element of activity in this. And here again is something very vital. We must, I say, rouse ourselves and bring ourselves to this. Now, here is a point which, to me, at any rate, is of very great interest. There are two sides to this Christian life in which we find ourselves. There is the divine initiative, without which nothing happens at all. But as the result of the divine initiative, you and I are meant to initiate things. When we are dead in trespasses and sins, we can do nothing. But when we are given life, we can and we must. And the, and the scriptures appeal to us to do so. Set your affections. You've got to take yourselves in hand and you've got to make yourselves do this. You've got to compel yourselves. You've got to be rigid with yourself. You must discipline yourself. It involves, I say, a very definite activity on our part. I'm putting it like this because I know that there are some of us who tend perhaps to take the view that, well, we just go on as we are and uh, we pray that God will do something to us. We are waiting for a revival or some personal revelation. And in the meantime, we tend to do nothing. Now, that's quite false to the scriptural teaching. We cannot create a revival and it's folly to attempt to do so. But there is a great deal we can do and must do. You just don't get up in the morning and say, well, I don't feel in a very spiritual mood this morning. I trust that I shall be better tomorrow. Not at all. You mustn't pass that. You mustn't allow that. I have set the Lord always before me. When you feel the exact opposite, you must insist upon it. You must do this thing. You must take yourself in hand and you set him before you and you speak to him. That's what he means. It's an activity. It isn't waiting passively for the Lord graciously to visit you only. He does that. But I think that Christian biography proves this abundantly. That the people who have had the most gracious and the most frequent visitations from God have been those who have sought him most diligently. You remember how the author of the epistle to the Hebrews puts it in the sixth verse of the eleventh chapter. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's the activity. Very well, there's another aspect of it. Then uh, the next part which I would come to is still more practical. What do you mean exactly by setting the Lord before you, says someone? Well, let me put it like this. It means that uh, I train and school myself in what the masters of the spiritual life have called the art of recollection. 
It means that I consciously, deliberately, and actively speak to myself about myself and about my relationship to God. It means that when I wake up in the morning, before I allow myself to think about anything else, I say to myself again, you are a child of God and an heir of eternity. You belong to God. God knows you and you are a child of God. Recollection. Reminder of that. Now, you've got to do that. You've got to do it forcibly. Because the moment you wake up, thoughts will come crowding into your mind. Perhaps temptations, perhaps doubts, all sorts of things. You brush them all aside and you deliberately remind yourself of these things. Of God and yourself and your relationship to God. And you meditate upon that. And then you consciously seek the presence of God. If you like, I'll use the term, practice the presence of God. In other words, you say to yourself, God is, and I am. And God is there. God is eternal being and life and reality. He isn't a mere term. He isn't a mere philosophic concept. God is God is a person. And I want to go into his presence. I want to know him. I want to speak to him. I'm going to approach him. As I may decide to visit a friend, I am going to visit God. And I'm going to commune with God. I'm going to have fellowship with God. That's what he means by setting the Lord always before him. And, of course, there are many other ways of doing this. Nothing is more important than this word, the Bible. God has here revealed himself to us. So, as we read this word, we are deriving knowledge about God, and God is speaking to us through the word about himself and about ourselves, so that the more we know this and read this, the more it will take us into the presence of God. So if you want to set the Lord always before you, spend much of your time with this. And as it's the time when men are given to making and taking resolutions, I do trust that this is one of yours. On this 1st of January, my friend, regular daily reading of the Bible and systematic reading, not picking it up at random turning, ah, a favorite psalm, and then somewhere in the Gospels, no, no, Genesis to Revelation. Go through the book year by year. I think any Christian should be ashamed who doesn't go through the Bible once a year. Go through it systematically. There are many schemes that have been designed and which can be purchased, which will tell you how to do so and help you to do so. If you can't find one, well, come to me and come to any of us. We can help you in that matter. Work one out for yourself, as I once did in my life. Insist upon it. Here's God's word. He's speaking to you. Well, listen to him, and you'll come into his presence. Set him before you by reading the Bible. And then prayer. Talking to God. And listening to God. 
Those are the ways in which you set him before you, and I've already referred to it, I must add it again. Read the lives of godly people. And when you see the kind of life that they were enabled to live, you'll feel, oh, that I were like that. Well, why were they like that? And you'll discover the only answer is, they did set the Lord always before them. And so you read that when they were taken desperately ill, or when bereavement and sorrow came, it didn't disturb their equanimity. They were not finally upset. They were human. They were not inhuman. They did feel it, and they felt it very acutely. Yes, but they didn't lose their balance. They didn't feel that all was lost and was gone. And when wars came and trials and calamities, they didn't feel that everything had collapsed. Not at all. They went on, and there was a kind of added sweetness and beauty about their lives and a still greater joy and peace. That's what you find as you read their biographies. And you say, what's the secret? Well, you'll find their secret was that they spent a great deal of time every day in reading the scriptures and in praying to God. Oh, my dear Christian friends, isn't this the trouble with so many today? We are much too busy. We are activists. We are running to meetings or organizing them or busying ourselves in some organizations. We don't read even as our forefathers did. We must be entertained always. We must be looking at it or somebody must be doing it for us. The secret of the saints in the past was that they read the word themselves and prayed and meditated and read good books, not snippets, not mere devotional commentaries. They got down to the doctrine, to the depths, and they lived in these depths and not merely in the shallows. And the result was their glorious lives. Set. I have set the Lord always before me. That's what the setting means. Oh, that we all may resolve to do so together this morning. Don't let life control you. Don't let any organization control you. Don't let the thing to do control you. And when I say the thing to do, I don't mean the thing to do only in the world. I mean the thing to do even in evangelical circles. Set the Lord always before you. He himself. Not merely activities in his kingdom. Because finally... If you don't set the Lord before you, you'll become very dry in all your act activism. And your heart will become cold. And in the time of need and of trouble and of trial, you won't know where you are. And you'll be rather a poor witness to the faith and to the grace which you have received and which you hold. Set the Lord. Yes, and do it always, as I say. I have set the Lord always, says this man. Not uh, only when he feels like it, still more, in a sense, when you don't feel like it. When the Lord is visiting you, you needn't set him before you. You know he's there, and you have but to respond. Oh, the time to do it is when you don't feel it. And when you feel dry and barren and arid, set him before you. Surely we must all testify to this this morning, that as we look back across our lives, there is nothing in a sense that has been more wonderful 
than when in a dry and arid and barren condition. We have deliberately set him before us and sought him. Suddenly the clouds have broken and the light has shone again. Oh, there's been nothing more wonderful than that. So do it, I say, even though you don't feel like it. Do it every day, always. Don't do it fitfully. Don't start off wonderfully at the beginning of the year and then begin to flag. Always. Set your affections. Put it there. Put it at that point and keep it there. Go on doing it. Don't do it fitfully. Don't start off wonderfully at the beginning of the year and then begin to flag. Always. Set your affections. Put it there. Put it at that point and keep it there. Go on doing it. And above all, let me say this, don't only do it when you're in trouble, which is the tragedy with so many. They've gone on living the humdrum life saying, of course, should things go wrong, I, I can always turn to the Lord. And then things have gone wrong and they've turned to the Lord, but they've rather felt that they couldn't find him. And they seem to be deserted. And then they become excited and alarmed and they don't know where they are. They only set the Lord before them when they're in trouble. No, no. If you want to find the Lord when you're in trouble, set him before you when you're not in trouble. I have set the Lord always before me. Sunshine and rain, storm and calm, affluence and prosperity, penury and loss, health and sickness, I don't care. I have set the Lord always. Before me. Shall I encourage you to do this before I close? By reminding you of the wisdom of doing this? I've been implying it already. Let me emphasize it. Why should I set the Lord always before me? Well, the first answer is because he is the Lord. Jehovah. The Almighty, the Eternal, the Everlasting God. If that isn't enough, listen to this. Why should I set the Lord always before me? Well, the second answer is because I am always before Him. He is the Lord. And there are statements in Scripture, anthropomorphic statements, but how true and how expressive, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth. He sees, he knows all and everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We are all always before him. And because his eye is always on me, it is the essence of wisdom that my eye should be always upon him. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And indeed that brings me to the last reason why it is the essence of wisdom to do this. I should set the Lord always before me. Because it is as certain as the fact that I stand in this pulpit at this moment that I shall stand before God. When? I don't know. Well, therefore, let me always do it. 
It may be in 1956. I don't know. We none of us know. But we do know this for certain, that we shall all appear before the judgment throne of Christ and give an account of the deeds done in the body. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It is inexorable. Therefore, my dear friend, set the Lord always before you. Rehearse it, if you like. Oh, it is the essence of wisdom to set the Lord always before us. But yes, let me say a word about the privilege of doing this. What poor and foolish creatures we are, but you know the essence of Christianity is to bring us into fellowship with God. What Christ has made possible for us by coming into this world, by living, by dying on the cross and rising again, what he has made possible by that is that you and I can live and walk in fellowship with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abram, the friend of God, walked with God. And you and I are meant to walk with God through this world. What a privilege. And it's a tragedy that we have to remind ourselves of it, but it's true. We've got to remind ourselves of it. Do it always. Set him always before you. Say as you wake up in the morning, what a wonderful thing, another day of walking with God, walking with Christ. Our fellowship indeed is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, if we started our days like that, reminding ourselves of that. Miserable creatures such as we are, feeling jaded, tired, bilious, depressed, whatever it is, with all sorts of thoughts and problems coming, brush them aside and say, it's God's day and I'm God's man. I'm going to walk with him today. What a privilege. That's the Christian life. And then finally a word about the comfort of setting the Lord always before us the comfort and the security of doing so. Because it is as certain as we live that as we start this year or as we start any day, we shall find ourselves face to face with temptations. There is an adversary confronting us who is second to God only in power. A mighty adversary, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he will attack us with all his power. There's only one comfort as you realize something of the truth of that. It is this that you can say, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Why? Well, temptations lose their power. When thou art nigh. If the Lord is before you when the temptation comes, it'll be quite different from facing it alone and not knowing that he's there. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Set the Lord always before you, my friend. You know, it seems to me on reflection that any man who goes out of his house in the morning without realizing all this and setting the Lord before him is a fool. He's child's play to the devil. So make certain that you've set the Lord before you. 
and keep it up. Then think of trials when they come. Oh, they may come in so many different forms. Increasing age, infirmity, sickness, sickness of someone else, bereavement, sorrow, perhaps a war, the collapse of the world and civilization, we don't know. But they may come. They will come sooner or later in some form. And then you know there's only one thing that is of value. And that is that we shall not be alone, that he will be with us. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, The hour cometh, and now is when all shall leave me and forsake me. Nevertheless, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. That's how he went through. When his disciples ran away, the Father is with me. And he went through. And that is the only way in which you and I can face it. We can say this, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he only is my strength and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Ah, yes. And when even death itself shall come, it's all right. He will be with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. We can apply this psalm. Christ has conquered death in the grave. He's gone through. He's an anchor within the veil. Because he's there, I shall be there. Even death is vanquished. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not move. And the glory of it, you see, is this. I know that I'm changeable. I know that he's unchangeable. The world will change and I will change. He, Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, I say, whatever it may be, I have but to set him always before me and to look at him. I seek him and I ask him to abide with me and therefore I can say things like this. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide when other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless. Oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Its joys uh, grow dim. Its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace? Can foil the tempter's power, who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine. Oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears, no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still. If thou abide with me, 
Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom. And point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks. And earth's vain shadows flee. In life. In death. O Lord. Abide. With me. Keep me. O keep me. King of kings. Beneath. Thine own. Almighty wings. Beloved people. Set the Lord. Always. Before you. And then because. He is at your right hand. You shall not be moved.